It's Monday the 10th of February 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Dale Kedwards, a research fellow at the Vigdis Finnbogadottir Institute of Foreign Languages and by the musician, translator and Iceland review journalist Jelena Cilic. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi. Uh, this week, the Epling Union continues its struggle against the city of Reykjavik, with more strikes expected uh, this coming week. The city side says the pay gap between university-educated and non-specialist staff at preschools needs to be maintained. The landing gear on an Iceland air jet coming from Berlin on Friday collapsed during landing. Nobody was hurt, luckily, but it could have been a major incident. Um, it has now transpired that the landing gear was all but brand new. The first month of direct flights on an aviation continuing theme there from uh, Iceland to China has been cancelled amid ongoing coronavirus outbreak, uh, which has not yet reached Iceland. The common scourge of pickpockets at popular tourist destinations across Europe has finally reached Iceland uh, after being pretty much unthinkable for decades. The weather has given us plenty to talk about since New Year's Day and not least during the past week. Reykjavik City Council will be asked to approve the plan for permanent pedestrianised streets downtown at its next meeting. And, last but not least, Hilde Gurnadottir has become the first Icelander ever to win an Oscar, and only the second woman in 22 years. So, where would you like to begin? Well, I think Hilde is kind of the freshest and most exciting. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's talking there. about that, yeah. It is what people are talking about this morning, certainly. Not unexpected. No, she had naturally, she'd won a series of awards leading up to it, both for her score in Chernobyl and Joker. She yeah. won the Emmy, Golden Globe. And the uh, BAFTA was the most right. recent. Yeah. Mm. And there's, there's a certain a record of success that seven of the last ten BAFTA winners in that category went on to win the Oscar. That's right. So, yeah, there was one fellow nominee of hers who had been nominated 15 times and had never won, so he mm. was sort of... <laughs> He was sort of the the one contender that people thought, well, maybe, maybe he'll win and she won't. But uh, she was, ended up taking it home. This was the composer for 1917. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I forget. Is it Randy or Thomas Newman? <laughs> Their cousins. Uh, I was right. It's one of the Newmans. Uh, <laughs> Thomas, Thomas Newman. All right. That's right. Uh, but she snagged the award nevertheless. So there yeah. we go. Um, I I learned recently actually. So she's the first woman in 22 or 23 years to win it. Uh, but previous to that, there were two separate categories for best score. One was for musical and comedy, and the other was for drama. And the previous female winners, who were only two, mm -hmm. they had won in the musical and comedy category. So in a sense, she's the first to win in her category, we could say, of dramatic score. Yeah, since Anne Dudley was it for, for Monty in 97. That's right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, this is doubly significant as winning in a huge category. Absolutely. Yeah. And the score itself um, was pretty unusual insofar as that it was written um, before filming took place, mostly, I believe. Mm. That's right. I very gratefully had the chance to interview her last year and we talked a little mm. bit about that score. And, yeah, she started working on it right from the script. So she read the script and then started composing the music. And then, as many people now know, uh, that music was sort of played during the shooting. And Joaquin Phoenix, the sort of dance he does in, in the bathroom, for those who have seen the film, he made that dance out from 
listening to the music that Hildur had already composed. So this is very unusual for film music, which is usually made once the film's already been shot and edited and cut together, and then the music process sort of starts. So it's an interesting, more collaborative process. And so I, I'm not really surprised from that perspective either that she would have won because would have won because it's such a novel approach. So yeah. And and she did credit in her speech how how much she had spoken to the director and and really been involved in that sort of tight relationship during filming. So, could this be the start of a new way of working in Hollywood? Will this, as you say, close collaboration? Will that happen more now, or is it a flash in the pan? Well, that would be really exciting. Uh, on the other hand, it's very time consuming and expensive. So. <laughs> I'm not sure how much it's going to become a new trend necessarily, but uh, if it is, I mean, certainly these awards are going to help propel it as a way of working. Yes, it's worked. She's won basically everything she's gone up for, hasn't she? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Good. OK, um, anything else to add on that? Or just obviously congratulations to Hildur. Yeah. And yeah. to Thomas as well, 15 nominations. That's it. Is he going to be really hurting this morning or is it just you know it's great to have a nomination at all isn't it well you know who else has 50 nominations without ever winning uh, Grammy nominations oh. I believe is Björk oh. Oh. yeah never won but has been nominated 15 times wow well she seems I... to be doing quite well though. <laughs> don't <laughs> think she's too bitter <laughs> no this is true and she has also been nominated for an Oscar yeah uh, didn't win it she's there was what um, Friedrich Thor Friedrichson, Björk with Sean, uh, Runa Runason and Thoris Nysir Jonsson and Johan Johansson have all been nominated mm. for Oscars but didn't win. So um, Hildur has gone one better. Maybe next year she'll win two. <laughs> Best actress as well. well. See. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on to a different topic. Um, where would you like to go next? Um, I I think the plans to pedestrianise the the downtown area is is really interesting, mm. um, because it it seems well it's it's already kind of half accomplished with the bottom bit of Banker Strati, but but there are more extensive plans to roll it out up to up Skola Verfestiger and mm. and up Leugeveger as well. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Uh, well, personally, I think it's a great idea. I know that there is some controversy from business owners, they or some opposition, I should say, from business owners mm -hmm. that feel that a lack of parking could impact businesses negatively. Yeah. Uh, I suppose it's something that we'd have to wait and see. I'm not sure that that would necessarily be the be the the reality of it, but yeah, of course yeah. there have to be other considerations made if it, if it is put fully put into place. For sure, I, I remember they they did this in York in England, and and it's very tight city centre and and it it created this it creates this very kind of busy period in the mornings when when the trade vehicles are allowed uh, into the area and it kind of forces all that traffic into a kind of very short slot so it, it becomes very chaotic for a part of the day but but i mean it's incontrovertibly nicer during the day when when you can just swan across the road Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a very good point, and I think that is happening on Österstreiti to some extent now, where yeah. there's a time in the morning where all of the sort of delivery vehicles come in, and so that's something that definitely needs to be considered yeah. if it goes fully pedestrian. But I think in terms of just having liveliness in the centre, it's definitely the direction to go, and, and just for so many reasons to encourage people to be walking or biking, 
uh, for environmental reasons, yeah, for social yeah. reasons, for health reasons. It just seems like like a positive step, of course, with, with other considerations that need to be made. Yeah, yeah it's resoundingly positive, I think. It's just, it's odd how it also shuts down that very Icelandic thing of doing the biltur, that kind of just driving around mm. <laughs> bit that you see on Logaveg quite a lot. That's true, there's fewer opportunities to, to wind your windows down and play very loud music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These things need to be considered. They, they do. In fact, as well as some of the local businesses, other key um, opponents of it have been some of the car clubs. OK, really? Like the classic oh. car club, because part of what they do in the summer is to drive downtown and be I've a spectacle. I've seen yeah. Which is, you know, it's nice in a way. Yeah, it's super impressive. But yeah. they just have to do this sort of spiral route now, which is, mm. isn't as easy to see. Yeah, I think it's a reflection of a general trend, really. I mean, even in other parts of Iceland, where we look at Selfos, which is sort of redesigning the, the downtown centre now, mm. and it's going to move it away from this street that's essentially just a highway cutting through the town. They're going to move the centre away that, so that it's much more pedestrian-friendly and much sort of cosier. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a general trend. It's just a question of time, when it happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe there are right and wrong ways to do it, but mm. yeah. Yeah. I, I would say it's the way to go. I have to admit, I'm a little confused um, because they've been doing this summertime closing of these streets for 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 years now, and then last year I think they said it's going to be permanent, and then there was this uproar from some of the local businesses, and then it is still closed all winter now. Right. And the plan has changed somewhat from what the original plan was, but I'm not sure in what details that is. It's the the, the new plan that was uh, announced this week is supposed to be cheaper, perhaps a little bit ex less extensive than the original plan. Um, but I really don't know the details and, and what that means. One of the details, I believe, is actually rebuilding the streets so that they are pedestrian streets and... So that means obviously a lot of construction and work uh, in order to sort of change the actual street surface. And I believe that that's been changed, or at least the phases of that project are going to stretch over a much longer period of time. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's maybe one of these changes that sort of everybody gets really excited about and then kind of ramps down after the fact. Just uh, maybe we'll do it in five years or ten years or whatever. Nine phases I'm reading here. Mm. <laughs> that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is the way forward. And I think part of the reaction, the negative reaction is from people that just expect to be able to drive and park right outside the shop they want to go to. And that isn't common in most cities around the world, is it? You have to park a little bit away mm. and expect to walk for 5 minutes. But yeah. I suppose at the same time the city center of Reykjavik is very much in competition with places like Kringland and and Smaurland. Which do have mm, that. Yeah, certainly for car owners and for locals in general, I would say that that's, that is competition. But on the other hand, hopefully the centre still offers something else uh, in terms of culture or environment that Greenland doesn't. So on, on that sense, hopefully it, it competes. Yeah. Yeah, since for the building of that little sort of district of the bottom of town with, with costs and, and other things in it... Um, move towards pedestrian nice spaces yeah absolutely we haven't seen the best of that yet i think mm. it's still adjusting and shops are still opening there i'm hopeful i think it's quite a striking development and yeah i'm hopeful that it's going to yeah. bring some new life into the downtown area 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And of course, there's a big hotel going up next to Harpa, and so I think there will be more pedestrians, so why not make things more pedestrian-friendly? It just seems to make sense. Yeah. Cool. Okay, should we move on? Yeah. Where to? We've got the strikes, we've got the pickpockets, we've got the Chinese air connection, we've got the Iceland air jet. We can talk about the strikes a little bit, maybe? Yes. They're affecting... Um, what, about three, three and a half thousand preschool children in Reykjavik? That's right. There were two strikes last week, temporary strikes, and more planned, and a general strike planned from February 17th if the if the Epling Union and the city can't reach an agreement. Uh, of course, preschool teachers and workers are sort of known, and, and this conversation has been going on for many years, that their wages are quite low. Uh, so you can kind of understand where the battle is coming from. Mm. I mean, I used to, my first job in Iceland, one of my first jobs in Iceland was in a preschool and it was very badly paid. Everyone there does it because they enjoy the job, not for the money. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, but of course, Epling, they're not representing all the workers in the preschools, are they? They're representing just a, a core of them. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So workers are, they have the option to be a member of different unions. Mm. Uh, there are, as I believe, around 1,800 workers on strike, uh, and about half of those work in preschools, but those are not all preschool workers. So, of course, some about half of preschool children are affected, but not all. Yeah. Um, also, what was the, I had a point that I've now forgotten. There's something vibrating. <laughs> I think it's drilling or something. Oh. Okay, it's the house. Okay, <laughs> carry on. Um, yeah, so uh, airplane, yeah, the city council side, that's where I was going to go with this. The city council side are saying that there's a, 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 a pay difference between university-educated employees in preschools and those that are more considered general workers, which are the ones represented by Eplink. And that gap needs to be maintained. And whether or not that's true... Um, they, you know, they can't, they don't have. I guess they don't have endless money to pay everybody a lot more. Um, so that's their point of view. However, on the other side, people are, you know, rightly saying that they're very low-paid workers at the moment. So, where can they go with this? Yeah. And the university background jobs—it's not to say that they're substantially harder or more difficult. There's a lot of very difficult jobs that happen in. in education that that don't require university degrees um yeah, yeah I, I think it's a question also of are those salaries affording a good enough quality of life mm. and how much do we value those jobs regardless of somebody's background education i think most Absolutely. people can agree that they're very valuable jobs uh, that it's a very important position and, and something that we want to invest in in terms of investing in the future. So whether or not there needs to be a gap, I think it's important to consider whether how people are actually living on the salaries that they have. Uh, but I know one of the other considerations is sort of this quality of life agreement that the government has already made in terms of collective agreements and that Epling is sort of asking for more than these terms that have already been set recently in other collective agreements. Mm-hmm. So... It's just a question of whether we want to change that reality, take that step of sort of offering preschool workers a little bit more than usual. Of course, there are other workers as well, 
waste management, uh, just welfare workers that are affected by the strike as well. Mm. So, yeah, it's just, I think that's that's sort of the fundamental question for me anyway, underneath the, the struggle and certainly the angle that Appling is taking is kind of, well, how valuable are these jobs to, to us? And that's, I think, what they're trying to show with the strikes as well. Mm. How does this relate to other municipalities? Because uh, this is specifically the city of Reykjavik, so other places happen to feel that Kopenhagen and other places around the country are not affected by this. Why is that? Are they already paying better or do we know that? Well, I think they're just different agreements, different contracts that run out at different times because it is municipalities that manage the education system at that level, the primary schools and the preschools. Uh, I'm not really sure what the pay difference would be uh, between different municipalities, but I think in general it's not a particularly highly paid job to work in a preschool. Mm. That much is, is, is known, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, okay, how do, we see, how do we see this developing? Will they reach an agreement this week and prevent the unlimited strike? Or uh, what's your bet? Oh, I have no idea about, about <laughs> that. Um, uh, it seems pretty tense to me. It does. Yeah. it does. But no one wins from an unlimited strike, you know. It's not a holiday. People aren't just sitting at home drinking a pina colada. It's um, true. Definitely hard on, on parents, but... Yeah. Mm. So I think they don't want that to happen. I mean, maybe they do. But no, I think they don't want that to happen. But something has to give. Mm-hmm. And everyone, like, the highest the highest up people are involved. They're, they're running media campaigns, if you will. The mayor's been on TV talking about why Epling is being unreasonable. Uh, obviously, the chairwoman of Epling is saying the opposite. They're being highly reasonable, um, <laughs> which, yeah. So we'll have to wait and see how that works out. Yeah, Interesting times. Um, anything else, or should we move on? I think we can move on. Yeah, I'm happy to. Good. We're rattling through them today. Um, yeah, OK. What next? Does anyone have any particularly... Um, Strong opinions on landing gear? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was not at all. (laughs) That was a very, very serious incident on on Friday afternoon um, when the landing gear on the jet broke underneath it and the jet engine, the engine and the wing rubbed along the runway and there were sparks flying everywhere and it could, and the weather was pretty bad. It was wet and windy. Uh, It could have been horrible. Uh, in the end, no one was injured. Um, but since then, we found out that it was brand new landing gear that had been installed 30, oh, 63 flights beforehand, which in aviation terms is nothing. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. S- see, yeah, it made more sense when I heard it was near enough brand new, but, but 63 flights, I imagine that would be adequate to kind of test any sort of bugs because these things are so scrupulously checked before before takeoff and stuff you'd mm-hmm. you'd imagine anything that comes from the newness of the installation would kind of be fixed by the 63rd flight <laughs> yeah you would hope so yeah i mean yeah. if it collapsed on flight number one you'd think oh something happened something yeah was wrong. sure sure yeah. installation yeah. mistake or yeah. some sort of thing like that but uh, interesting to work 62 times and then number 63 just Mm. yeah Yeah. and from what i read uh it seems that there were some parts missing there's sort of an argument about which parts those may have been 
And I think it's just something we kind of have to wait and see what the investigation brings up and hopefully it becomes clear what the actual issue was. I think that's the, the biggest takeaway we hopefully get from this. Oh, yeah. It would have been terrifying for the people on the flights, you know, <laughs> coming well, in. Less than you might think from oh, what really? some of the interviews have said. They, no. I mean, most of the connecting passengers going on to North America continued as, as if nothing had happened. Okay. And there were no screaming and tears, apparently. Um, they did have Red Cross um, uh, counselling on offer at the airport, which most people chose not to take up. Okay. So, I mean, people were very lucky that it yeah. wasn't a, a major, major trauma, even because the pictures, it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's um, contra all my experience with turbulence and how mm. passengers react in the air to that kind of things. Yeah, well, it touched down. It, everything was normal <laughs> for um, two, three seconds, and then over. Okay, okay. Um. Right. So, uh, a question about that. They say that it's quite an extensive um, investigation that's happening. It could take two years, which is not unusual. And they're sending the black box recorders off to Boeing headquarters in, in, in the US to, to get all the data from them. In the meantime, though, it's a problem that could be more widespread. They're, they're investigating whether or not they need to check all of the similar gear on certainly all of Iceland airplanes, if not all of the similar 757s in the world. Um, so if the investigation is going to go on for two years and it's also a potentially imminent threat to all of the type of plane in the world, where's the middle ground between that? Are they going to have to check them anyway? <laughs> you know. I would hope that earlier phases of the investigation maybe focus on that <laughs> to figure out how broadly they need to investigate the, um. the issue and maybe answer some of those questions early on, even if the entire investigation takes two years. Very good point. Can't help but feel a little bad for Iceland Air at this point in time with their grounded planes, grounded since last year, and uh, it just seems like it's a very difficult operating environment. And then on top of that, they're just facing a lot of difficulties, which essentially have nothing to do with the company or its own practices, just mm. things that are sort of happening to them. Mm. And of course, we're so dependent on plane travel living here on this little island. So, mm. yeah. And and any sort of any sort of problem with a plane is is very obviously going to be a very significant news item. But but in a grand scheme of things, I mean, they don't happen very often. <laughs> and and once you know, in in sixty three flights uh, with one one particular plane, uh, it, it's a, still a statistical anomaly, uh, whatever it was. So hopefully the investigation will figure out what it is, but. But, um, I mean, people can't carry on uh, as though there is a particular cause for alarm. <laughs> no, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. But I won't stop taking vacations abroad, <laughs> at least. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, they're now one plane down. Uh, and there are already several planes down because of the grounding. That's mm. a good point you raised there. That's right. Um, yeah. No news about whether it's causing any uh, any disruption uh, to, the, to the timetabling so far. I know they do have spares, don't they? But uh, maybe not such luxury. Maybe people have to do without the screens in the back of the seats or something on <laughs> different planes. Um, yeah, OK. Anything else on that? As I say, I we are battling through them. Where next? Um, pickpockets? Or. I can continue a little weather? bit with flights, maybe, just to. The China? Yeah. 
Yes, I mean, this is another piece of news that will surprise no one, but it has been confirmed. <laughs> they were supposed to start flying from Shanghai um, at the end of March, and that's now postponed until the end of April, at least. Wait and see. Um, what does this mean, like, in the broader scheme of things? Because we have hundreds of thousands of uh, Chinese visitors every year. Anyway, and there's no direct flights yet. So it, on that scale of things, it may not make a difference. On the other hand, people have made bookings and they're now cancelled. Um, yeah. Do you? I know, I know travel agencies in, in Iceland and, and various service providers are already looking very much towards an upswing in, in Chinese visitors. Uh, so, so I imagine it's frustrated a lot of kind of local plans to, um, to. I, I've heard about new jobs being advertised that that ask for competence in in a in Cantonese or Mandarin to to really help with this new influx of tourists. Um, mm. So yeah, I imagine it will have an impact. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think. It's probably significant to note that many tourists with a Chinese background aren't necessarily coming directly from China either. Mm. So how much of an effect it will have, I guess we'll see. Certainly some sort of an effect. Uh, I think many tourists with a Chinese background that do come here are maybe coming, they, they live elsewhere. They maybe are studying in Europe, for example, and then they take advantage of that visa to come travel in Iceland as well. So. Uh, I guess the statistics will show what and uh, how large an effect it's going to have. Uh, I can't help but think that you know it's it's it makes sense to take these kinds of measures when uh, something like the coronavirus is popping up. On the other hand, we haven't seen any cases in Iceland, uh, and it. I think there's probably more sort of fear surrounding it rather than there is actually something to be afraid of. Mm. Mm. Uh, the, the Directorate of Health in Iceland still maintains that it's very likely it will reach the country at some point, um, regardless of this news, um, because, as you say, people do not always fly direct anyway, and it may in, in all likelihood not come directly from China to Iceland. Uh, mm. But, yeah, it's a, it's a precaution, isn't it? Uh, Will this have an effect for other tourists visiting the country? Is it going, are we going to see knockdown prices and uh, cheap flights and cheap hotels for people to fill the gaps, or will it be business as usual? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we're already seeing a trend in that direction, just with the, after WOW and with the economy, mm. sort of the projections being less positive than they were. So I think that's a general trend that's happening, and, and little factors here and there are certainly going to influence that as well in small ways. And of course, the other way around as well. They've, I don't know how to pronounce it. Juneo Airlines, uh, they were wanting Icelanders to go and visit China as well, obviously. Um, I wonder how many people have had their flights cancelled. Mm. And I wonder how many of those are sad about it, <laughs> given the circumstances. Yeah. Um, oh. yeah where, where in China do they fly to? Where, where, where is the connection? Shanghai. Shanghai, okay. Mm. Which is the biggest city in China, I believe. Is it even bigger than Beijing? Certainly, I'm not sure about that. Certainly right up there anyway. Yeah. No, I'm not sure about that. I don't know why I said it. <laughs> I think I've read that somewhere. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the major international business hub, even more than Beijing, I think, in, in China. So, 
a logical place to uh, to, to base flights from. Um, yeah, in terms of the the coronavirus outbreak, they say that the number of new infections has stabilised in the last over the last couple of days, even though it has now overtaken SARS as the most deadly recent uh, epidemic. Um, so, hopefully, the numbers will go down in the in the coming weeks, and that they can stick to their revised schedule. But uh, wait and see. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe we should leave it there. Um, because I do want to finish on uh, on a particular tune that you can probably guess which it is. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's call that a day. Uh, thank you very much to my guests. Um, the Week in Iceland will be back on Monday next week, on the 17th of February, on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and on your favourite podcast platform. My thanks to Dale Kedwards and Jelena Chiric, and also to Lydia Gretestotir for running the studio. This week's Icelandica is, of course, without any hesitation whatsoever, a tune named Call Me Joker from the film Joker, written by Academy Award winner Hilda Gudnadottir. Bye for now. <laughs>